0: Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, we are joined by Stacey Siegel, Vice President of Design and Construction with J.P. Morgan Chase, and Samantha Delabar, Workplace Design Leader at BHDP, to talk about Building Excitement Through Purposeful Design using the lens of the JP Morgan Chase renovation in Columbus, Ohio. I am your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further.
1: Thanks. Hi, I'm Stacy Siegel. I am currently the Global PMO Lead with JP Morgan Chase's Design and Construction team. Formerly, I was the project manager on the Polaris renovation here in Columbus,
0: Ohio. Thank you, Stacy, so much. And also joining us again, we have Sam Delabar.
2: Yeah, I'm Samantha Delabar, design leader at BHDP. My focus market is on our workplace team. So excited to be here again, Brian.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you both. And we're going to talk a little bit about dynamic spaces. But the first thing we talk about, you work for J.P. Morgan Chase, like you said, and you had a big renovation, right, for a space that hadn't been touched for a very long time. And if you have a space that hasn't been touched and say, oh, two decades, where where do you even start? That might be a question for Sam. Like, how do you start on a project that hasn't been touched in 20 years?
2: So, Brian, we were fortunate enough to be able to work with Stacy. We got engaged on the project a little over four years ago, right, Stacy? I think it was July 2016. So understanding the, the complexity of the project and the large scale of the project, as we typically do with our design process, our first step is to really engage leadership and, and do a visiting session with them to really understand the goals of the project and gain alignment there. One of the main drivers was what we called engagement, and it was to make sure whatever we do with the start of the facility that all of the associates will be impacted. That's where it kind of led to the start of more focus with the amenity spaces prior to touching any of the workspaces.
0: Gotcha. Now, Stacey, do I understand correctly that you have some history with the space that got renovated too? Did you work there previously?
1: I do. I do. I was on the team that built the second phase of the building. So the building was built in two parts. Basically, the first half of the building was built in 1996, and the second phase, the second half, was built in 2001. And I was on the team that did the second half of the building. So, so how, I yeah. saw that. Yeah. So
0: how did that feel having knowing that you were part of that second phase, you know, knowing that it was about to be changed? Was there any trepidation? Did no, no, it was <laughs> very
1: exciting actually. It was very exciting because when we finished that second half of the building, it was at a time where things were changing in the company and a lot of things that were originally planned were basically put on hold or changed a bit. So it didn't end up quite the way it had been envisioned. So we did a lot of refurbishment for the furniture, reusing things that were already in other buildings in the market that we were consolidating into the Polaris location. So a lot of things that were in that building We're already quite old. So it was exciting to see some of that get really looked at a second time. You know, how can we do this better the second time? I think we as Midwesterners are great at value, right? Uh And so I think the first time we did it, we really got the greatest value of our assets. But this time it was, let's do this the right way for the next 20 years.
0: You know, it's interesting because you said the planning changed and then you said value. As soon as you said planning changed, my brain went to, it got value engineered out. Yeah. You
1: know, sometimes value engineered has such a a bad connotation. Sure. And it it doesn't always have to be that way. I think we did it the right way back in 2001, but it wasn't imagined then that it would last for another 20 years.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: I think... We have such an amazing team there that takes such good care of the facility and so many parts of it just didn't look as old as it was.
0: Interesting, because it was so Mm well-maintained. Sam, you had said before that you started on understanding that the workforce was going to be impacted by the change that you made. So you focused on the amenity spaces. Why did you start there?
2: Understanding that there was a long Effort of scope and time, trying to figure out the right phasing approach for the project took a lot of due diligence with the entire team. Again, as I mentioned, leadership wanted to make sure all associates were impacted in some way. And I think, again, due to the scale of the project and the concern of any unknowns coming and then unfortunately, the pandemic hit. So the start with all common area spaces was kind of top of mind to have the greatest impact for the associates within the building, right? That they'd be able to use it day one, they can get away from their desk. The overall intent of the amenity spaces was to provide a place that teams could get together, they can get away from their individual workspaces, as well as kind of ramp up any of more of a distributed food service offering. The scale of the building, again, so Stacy, correct me, it's a third of a mile, right? From one end of the building all the way to the other. Yeah, a
1: quarter of a mile.
2: Yep. Anything that we did along that atrium, the quarter of the mile atrium space, also had the intent to have people feel a sense of place. From a wayfinding standpoint, the legacy space was very monotonous as you kind of walk through that path.
1: One of the reasons that we felt starting with the amenity space was truly important was that throughout the 20-year history since the building opened, there had been a lot of smaller renovations of the space. And there had always been some haves and have-nots. A line of business would redo their space because they were growing or shrinking or something like that. And because the space is a quarter of a mile long, we didn't want to start at one end of the building or the other in terms of workplace and have some group feel left out because it was going to take so long to get from one end (laughs) of workplace to the other. We had done such a due diligence in, you know, looking at the schedule and it was going to take so many years to get through everything. And we really wanted to choose something that would be the biggest impact on everybody in that building immediately and amenity spaces really could do that. And that was really important to us for a group of people in Columbus who had seen other buildings across the country, across the world being renovated without their building being touched. So it was really important from an employee perspective.
0: That's interesting. You know, when you describe that system of, you know, if you started from one and go to the other, I imagine painting the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, it's uh, like yeah. by the time they get to the other side, they have to go back and start over again. Right. So tell me about the spaces as Sam puts it. She's told me they're beautiful spaces. I haven't seen them personally. So you're going to have to use descriptive words and tell us about these beautiful spaces a little bit, Stacy, if you don't mind.
1: Well, if you can envision the building before it had great bones, but it was very white. It was very reminiscent of a airport or a mall.
2: Yeah. The yeah, most uninspirational <laughs> space monotony all the way down the atrium.
1: Yeah. It was just very light and airy, but nothing warm and inviting.
0: You're looking for the, uh, <laughs> was... the Auntie M's pretzels and you can't find it anywhere. Right. Know? Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. If you've been there for a long time, you certainly knew your way around the space. But if you're coming in from the outside, it was very challenging to navigate your way through from one end of the building to the other, or through a maze of different sizes of workstations, (laughs) heights of workstations. So now I think we've taken it to a place where it's very warm and inviting, it's very easy to collaborate and inviting to work in different ways. I just feel it's very comfortable, but it still shows that we're Morgan Chase. It's still very much a financial institution. And that was always forefront in our minds as we designed the space. You walk into the lobby and you still see this big, bold statement that you're in J.P. Morgan Chase's space. You see the marble, you see our logo, but you also see the warmth of the wood. You see the little bit of a techie vibe with the, the cool lights and everything. So we kind of infused a little bit of Columbus, a little bit of tech. It's very unique and inviting.
0: I know that's one of the things I wanted to ask. Early on in the project, I actually got to go help look at spaces that you already had in the portfolio. And we looked at in New York and New Jersey, specifically like in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And what did you take from those spaces? How do you infuse that Midwestern portion from a New York reference point?
1: The biggest thing there is when you first walk in, you still want it to feel like a chase space, right? You have that strong presence. But when you get further into the space, if you went into our cafeteria, you feel a little more Midwestern. You feel a little bit more at home. You had the touches of Columbus in the arches in the cafeteria that we recreated. You have all of the wood. You have some of the reclaimed barn wood that we've used throughout. Yeah. You have plants. You have more of a casual seating environment throughout the atrium.
2: Yeah. Brian, if I can can chime in here. So it was an interesting challenge. I remember distinctly, again, Stacy's design team is out of New York, and it was very much a... We don't want all our spaces to look like New York, right? We want to have these regional influences so that, again, the people who live in the spaces feel like they're at home. So again, that resonated great with our design team because it's like, ah, you know, the design for people, which is our purpose, able to kind of switch the mindset and use those influences from New York, almost from a functionality standpoint, Brian. So again, when we observed all the spaces, we're looking at what worked, what didn't work from a functionality standpoint. And then to put some of those spins on it from a regional aspect and have those Columbus influence aspects and design elements brought into any of the messaging and the branding and the graphics and even the design elements like Stacey referenced. So it was kind of a fun play on how can we really embed the Columbus spirit into the Polaris campus, understanding that the campus is out in the suburbs, right? So I think there was to a little bit of a thought on how do we still attract the best talent to right Stacey that we're not living downtown. We're not living in, you know, an urban environment. So bringing some of those urban influences into a suburban campus was kind of strong in some of those design aesthetics, too, that we brought in.
0: Yeah, Sam, thanks for that. But I also remember when we did the observations, one of the things we were looking at were how often, like hourly, we went and checked on those shared amenity spaces. How often were people in there? What were they doing? Were they just getting coffee? Were they talking with someone else? Were they making a phone call? And you start to understand that that space has a broader purpose than just lunch. There was a lot happening in those spaces during different times of day. So Sam, I want to bring this back to purposeful design because purposeful yeah. design is something we've talked about recently on the podcast. We've talked about the empathetic side of it. Let's yeah. talk about the excitement part, I guess. <laughs>
2: Just to kind of pull back a second on reminder of what purposeful design is for us at BHCP and how that starts to influence the work that we do. So, three components. So, the first part is informed. Brian, a little bit about what you just talked about and, Stacey, the engagements we had with the leadership team and the constant connection we had with yourself and the observations we did in New York started to inform and influence Anything from a planning perspective and and a future design perspective. So it's all that kind of upfront knowledge building, gaining insight, setting the goals, and then learning again. We want this regional influence. So all that is part of that informed portion of our purposeful design that we've spoken to. So the empathetic side, Ryan, that you and I have had many conversations about is to align with the people. So we want to design these spaces for the people in the Polaris campus. That's a place they feel comfortable. It's spaces for them to use and for them to be successful. So kind of getting into the eyes and the shoes of those users, which again resonated great from a design perspective with pulling these regional influences and making them feel like home. If there's a sense of comfort and there's a sense of place and it's a sense of where I want to be, right? the spaces are going to get more heavily utilized. And then the third part, Brian, is the exciting part. And that's where we start to look at that memorable experience that places and spaces can have on us. So we think about that a lot from the senses. So there's certain smells, or certain triggers. So there's an emotional sensory connection we create that creates a memory in our brain that draws you back in. A lot of the sensory experience uh, methodology is, resonates from the retail market. It's the the smell, it's the visual, it's the sound. You know, if you hear that tucky sound, you know you're in this kind of funky space, you know, versus this jazz quiet, then you know you're in this more serene jazz bar or something of that nature. Taking all those things into account, thinking about the impact that we had on the Polaris campus from walking down the atrium, we created little living room spaces along the long path that have a mood to them. Again, if you picture this big, Quarter-long atrium, amazing skylights, very light-filled that Stacy mentioned. And then you can crawl into this little nook, this little living room space. It's dim, it's dark, has an overhang of wood. We did dark colors and textures. So you can almost crawl in there and have a sense of calm to break away from the big open space. And then having this moment as you get to the center of the building is where... We kind of designated it as the Polaris Commons, right? It's your full amenity, Starbucks in there, a couple other food offerings, a little market, community room with gaming, places for people to come together. So the impact was as someone walks down the atrium, they have these visual triggers and sensory of, ah, uh, there's Starbucks, right? I need a cup of coffee. I can go in there, giving them a choice and a sense of, hey, I really need to get away from my desk, I have all these options and these choices of different loud and exciting in the community room to soft, quiet little niches that I can go get away and almost hide. And if I need to do some focus work, I can get away and and have that. So that's all kind of in those mindset and realm of, choice based on mood or your personality or your mindset of the day. The hope is to have all these variety of different looks and feels and choice and atmospheres that people can kind of go and resonate in depending on the needs of the day, but, you know, just to help them kind of get recharged and, and back into it.
0: Yeah, sure. I can imagine, you know, from that space being a quarter of a mile long and big and open and probably loud at times, if you're even slightly neurodivergent, that could be intimidating or overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so to have those spaces that you can kind of crawl into and hide, that sounds awesome.
1: Well, and another thing about that atrium that I think turned out really well was the fact that it's a major traffic pattern from one end of the building to the other. We have approximately 10,000 people in that building pre pandemic traveling, like I said, back and forth from one end of the building to the other. So, at peak times, coffee time in the afternoon, lunch time, coffee time in the morning, that kind of thing, you have so many people traveling. So, when people do want to meet in the atrium with coworkers from one end of the building or the other for a small meeting, or what have you. How do you feel safe or how do you have that little meeting privately with so many people traveling back and forth? Previously, when it was all open, it was next to impossible to do so. But now that we've created these little spaces and brought the ceiling down in a way, tucked these little collaborative spaces kind of back and out of the way, and yet in full view of the whole atrium, you do feel safe. You do feel um, secure. You know, kind of off the beaten path, and you're able to have that meeting in a more secluded space. Even though you're still completely out in the open, it's a great use of the space without, you know, adding on to the building without using up workplace. So in the workplace, you know, in the actual wings, we can use that for the lines of business who are there for conference rooms that are for a slightly different purpose. The ad hoc kind of things can happen in the atrium.
0: Right. So you were able to occupy the space before the pandemic. So did you see people working that way? Like you saw them having those coffee breaks. What was their reaction?
1: The reaction was great from the employees. First of all, they had to live with it through the entire construction period. But I think we had a great team that did an amazing job with limiting the amount of disruption that the employees had. But obviously it is construction in a fully occupied building. So that was that was a challenge. Sure. But as we were able to reveal certain parts to the employees, I think the overall impact for them was was really great. And they quite took to it. I think the biggest part of it was when we revealed the Polaris Commons. And I think that was what they were looking forward to the most, which was the Starbucks. If we had just renovated a Starbucks in the building and been done, I think that would have been fine. They were all looking forward to a bigger Starbucks.
2: Isn't this how right. part of the started, right? It's like the line to Starbucks was down the atrium. <laughs> so I think that was one of our, if that happens again, that means right. we failed. The key to the whole renovation was keep the line at
1: Starbucks <laughs> moving. <laughs> We passed that with flying (laughs) colors. But no, I think the Polaris Commons was, I think, our biggest success because previously to the renovation, the bulk of the amenities was on the north side of the atrium. So talk about haves and nots, right? And so uh, folks on the south end of the building, if you only have a few minutes to take a break and you really want a Starbucks or you really want to run to the branch or you really need to run and mail something and you don't have that time because you've got to get from one end of your wing all the way to the atrium and run back, you know, that takes a lot of time. So we were very aware in our design and very purposeful about moving that to the center and really making that more of a community street And that hub, that Polaris Commons, being really the center of the community.
0: It's one of those things that sounds really simple once you've figured it out. Before that, it took a, oh, wait, yeah.
1: Yeah, there was, there was a lot of thinking and planning and yeah. back and forth and where do we place everything and how much space does it take up.
2: To kind of add on to the grand opening of the Polaris Commons, to stand in there and just see the smile on the faces of the people and them just looking around, to capture that wow, right? That's that wow. And that actually was one of our, our design drivers for the project as well, is to have these wow moments mm-hmm. The smiles and the energy and the commotion, you could just feel it. And that's that empathetic part. Feeling those emotions of those that now have this amazing place that they can go, is, it was very
0: rewarding. So, Stacey, yeah, I guess I the agree. question is, if WOW was one of your success criteria or design drivers, can you check that box with confidence?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. we I think we nailed WOW. And I completely second Sam's comments on that one. I mean, standing there watching everybody on the grand opening for the Players Commons, it was an experience that I don't think many people have had. It makes it exciting to come to work. You spend so much time at the office versus anywhere else and to have somewhere that you can step away from your desk, even if it's just for a few moments And like I said, grab a cup of coffee, visit a doctor, purchase some stamps, get help on your technology. We are a city and city needs amenities. A city needs other things to thrive and survive. And those have been provided in a way that helps people through their day in just a nice warm feeling, right? It, sure. <laughs> who gets gushy about design, but people don't realize how it impacts their day? You can walk yes. into a store and have a good feeling about it. And there's a reason people walk into a certain department store and they're willing to spend their money there. And there's a reason people walk into another store and turn right around and go back out. Yes. It has to do with the environment. You can do an environment well for a good value. And I think we provided that here.
2: That's great. uh, Brian, a little aha moment I had, and and Stacey, I think I shared this with you, but again, during the renovations, our design team was there often. So I would find a little niche or something in the HM to go sit, just to kind of catch up on work. And I was sitting there one day and I look over and I, on the couches was a gentleman and he was interviewing a potential candidate. I'm like, I'm sitting here in the open atrium, this little niche, and someone's getting interviewed. I'm like, this world is changing on just finding places and spaces to do certain job functions beyond a closed interview room. There was a sense of, oh, I'm sitting in this relaxed environment. And is this a reflection of the culture and the community of where I potentially could be working? Think about who we're designing for
1: these days. It's Gen Z. They're coming up and they're entering the workforce and they're used to working everywhere. It's not the millennials anymore. They're used to working in their college classrooms, in Starbucks, in these comfortable, cozy, anywhere, anytime kind of spaces. Yeah, Those are the kind of Spaces that they'll gravitate towards and companies that they'll gravitate towards going forward. Even through this pandemic, the rest of us have started to get used to that as well. I think going forward, people are going to want to have a bit of a choice. Whether everybody, every company embraces that or not is yet to be seen. But I think. Companies are going to need to address that and how they address that. Sure. Spaces are going to be part of that.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the, the, the last question that I had for both of you is regarding that the pandemic has caused us to take a look at what is the purpose of the workplace. So when people return to the workplace, not return to the work because they're already working, they're working from anywhere. How do we return to the workplace? So what are you learning today during this pandemic about, you know, what can be the magnets to draw people back to the office? The other part of that question is how can we design today? To prepare the workplace for the future,
2: Brian. Again, through this last six months, and Brian, you've been part of some of our roundtables, and you know we've done focus groups, and you know even chatting with Stacy on God, what, where is all this going to take us? You know, we're definitely learning. There are so many variables. There are so many different thoughts and individual preference that we see from a scale to. No, I want to work from home 100% of the time because I'm more efficient here. I have better work-life balance. I'm more connected to my family and my children. I have no reason to go back into the office all the way to get me out of my house. I need the interaction. I need the people. I don't want to work here anymore. And of course, there is that variety all the way in between. Brian, kind of where our mindset is, you know, we've been talking about choice for, you know, a million years now, but even at the Polaris campus, getting the campus set up for that variety, for those options and those choices that people can come back and and work wherever, trying to understand where can they most be efficient, most be successful, and mostly feel safe. I think we've really set up the Polaris campus, and Stacey would love to to kind of hear your thoughts on this as as you all are trying to figure out what, what next is. But, you know, when we say magnets, I think the amenity-type spaces allows people to have a different setting and a, a different mindset and, again, get together with people more out in the open versus in closed conference rooms. But we're also hearing, I need the tools to do my job. Like I said, there's a spectrum to, I need to get out of the house. I would love to sit at Starbucks, so why don't I go sit at Starbucks right in the middle of the atrium? So we're seeing a varying of needs just across all of our conversations with with many individuals on it, it's so almost unique and personalized for individual as far as what their needs are. So providing a campus or whatever to go and do and be and whatever you need and the tools that you need in order to get your work done. Cause bottom line is people need to get their job done. Stacey yeah. would love to kind of hear what your thoughts yeah. So I think it's a great question that
1: nobody quite has the answer to. And I too have been Talking to my counterparts in the world. And I don't know that anybody has one set of answers yet. Everybody has to do what is best for their own company after they listen to the experts. That's first and foremost. But after that, I think there's going to be a lot of changes as far as working from home. I think that is based on again that that company's preference. Do I think that 100% work from home is a viable option for a lot of companies? No. I just don't think we as human beings and now this is Stacy talking not Stacy JP Morgan Chase employee. Sure, sure. I don't think that's a viable option for Humanity, we're meant to be around people. I think that we've gotten a taste of it. We are going to want more of it for our families, for our sanity, for that whole thing called work life balance, whether you believe that that's obtainable or not. And especially as the workforce gets younger, I think they're going to demand something of it, right? We're going to want to work where we want, when we want, and a little bit of how we want. So companies are going to have to come up with something, whether that's more of unassigned seating so people can come in and sit wherever when they're ready to come to the office and have some kind of work-from-home policy to allow them to, to have flexibility to Deal with the things that are going on in their life. That's great. I think that people are going to want to know that these spaces that they come back to are clean and treated better to deal with COVID or whatever's next. Because is this the last pandemic we're going to see? Probably not. That's probably not. That's right. (laughs) The experts are saying right. We have to pay attention to science. So that means upping our filtration systems, paying attention to cleaning. We're going to spend a lot more on cleaning and a lot more on our HVAC systems going forward. Right. All of that, plus paying attention to how we design our spaces. Are we going to pack people into spaces? No. I think we're going to spread them out just a bit. Sure. But... I don't think that means we're going to add space. I don't think that means we're going to consolidate space. I think we're going to stick with the same space we have. I think we just need to be unique in the way we use the space. And I think we're pretty well on the way to that, the way we were doing workplace at Polaris. Right. I think adjustable benches and collaborative spaces and a lot of technology available for everyone. I think that's the way to go. But, you know, that remains to be seen. We're still talking to a lot of people. We have an amazing design team. They're focused on, again, talking to the experts. They'll come up with a path forward and we'll be there to carry it out for the next generation of employees.
0: Yeah, that's great, Stacey. It made me think there was a design principle is that when you're building a store, you don't design the parking lot for Christmas Day. And so we have these spaces where we knew occupancy rates of workspaces were like on at best 60% in some cases, which meant 40% of your space was unoccupied on any given day. Now, you know, of course that shifts around, but then we still were designing for the parking lot on Christmas day, you know, so everybody had a space to park their cells, but we don't use space that way before the pandemic. And now we definitely won't after. So what is that purpose? What are those spaces that bring people in? And is it about my space or is it about, you know, where can we get together and collaborate or where can I go and hide?
2: Brian, too, the you know, one of the methodologies that, that we've used in the past was this idea of a stage set, right? If everybody, and you can relate to this, Brian, being a little bit of your acting career there, right? Indeed. Just give them all the pieces yeah. and the components and and let the users take them and move them and mold them to, to whatever that current need is. I truly believe we're even more so at that point because we don't know what's going to happen in six months. And if as long as the tools are there... They can come in, they can space themselves out or, hey, let's go ahead and push everything up together. Let's plug the monitor back in and let's get our work done.
1: Yeah, and maybe the programming changes, right? We're no longer gonna ask how many hardwall offices do you need? How many, you know, six by eights do you need? How many X, Y, Z? It's more of a overall, how many people are gonna be in the space? And what is the ratio between you know, benches or desks and collaborative space do you need so that we can set it up that way and you know be ready and able to to what you said Sam have a space ready to be reconfigured and I love your analogy of it's a stage or almost like I kind of think of it like a furniture store. It has a ceiling with a grid and the lighting can be moved around and the electric can be anywhere and Everybody can shift it around any way they want, but we've given them the infrastructure and the tools to do what they need to do that
0: day. Yep. Stacy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you both for joining us and talking about your project. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, for this episode, Building Excitement Through Purposeful Design, with Stacey Siegel, Vice President of Design and Construction with J.P. Morgan Chase, and Samantha Delabar, Workplace Design Leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.